the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good day. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. I threw some silly numbers out at times on how much money you need to retire because no one threw those out for me. And it didn't start sinking in until I started doing the math myself. I think you need 10 to 20 times your income before you retire. But that's so simple because is that one person? Is that two people? Depends on how many people are living off that income. Um, but that's what you need minimum. Life is expensive and it gets more expensive. That's called inflation. Inflation's okay. Inflation's bad when it's too hot or too cold, like Goldilocks. But when inflation starts ramping up, and trust me, it, it ramps up on senior citizens a lot harder than it ramps up on you and me. You don't have time to fix that when you're a senior citizen. When you're younger, you're like, okay, I have to beat the rate of inflation. The rate of inflation is somewhere between 2 and 4%, typically, on average, historically. So you need your investments to return somewhere between 4 and 7 or 10%, since you're beating inflation. Since your dollar that you're saving today, a penny saved is a penny earned. Uh, true, but it still has to earn some income for you down the road. So they say that life begins at 40, and, you know, any Hallmark card or any birthday gift, do we have Hallmark cards anymore? Are there Hallmark stores, or did the Internet kill those too? Uh, all the cards you know, are cute, and I, I'd be honest with you, or I can be honest with you, I think for me life began around 35, maybe not 40, but right around 35, and until then I was kind of figuring things out. Not really 100% true. Some things I had figured out, but it all started coming together nicely at about 35. So life may begin at 40, right? That's the, what we're taught. Uh, but by 45, your chances of ever, ever landing a major raise are pretty much so dead. So you need to really know your income from age 20 to 60 is going to basically fund your years, your nest egg from 60 to 100. If you're a teacher in the state of California, 
your pension is going to cover maybe 55, 56% of your retirement income. You get no Social Security. So you have to save money to cover the rest of that. Now, the teacher's pension is pretty good versus the 401k who has nothing in it. So a teacher who goes from age 20 to 40 and does nothing, she's, she's at least got that pension. The average person who has the 401k system and not a pension who goes from 20 to 40 is screwed. I like to use a word that rhymes with puck, but I won't. So I'm behaving myself. Uh, that This is a fact. You know, the pension is kind of, to me, like a bond for a teacher, um, a firefighter, a cop, uh, government workers. Now, so that's very conservative. So teachers are starting to pay in the mid-40s, and they're coming out of college with $20,000 in debt. Uh, so they're not looking at, like, ooh, one day I'm going to be teaching, I'm going to make a million dollars. They're not going to get that age 45 raise where things are starting to look really good. So there's, you know, some takeaways out there when you start putting this all together. You know, teachers are a little bit more conservative. If, uh, let's say she gets... Uh, let's say she gets up to, you know, $50,000, you know, in earnings. Just keep in mind that in our lifetime, less than 10 years ago, we cut teacher salaries in California and we, we took away positions. Now, typically you, in the news media, you're like, oh, they're always safe from the, you know, their unions are safe and their, their, their pay is safe, but that's not always the case. Um, so, the pension, if you have make a million dollars, and that should pay you in retirement $40,000 a year in income. So a teacher's looking at, you know, basically being gifted $500,000 if they work 40 years. The state of California is going to give them a pension, 55% of their salary, roughly, uh, till the day they die. That's the idea. But what happens is that pension goes bankrupt. That's a whole other story for a whole other day. Um, but the rich and poor like, and that's, again, I, I want to finish that one concept. That pension is it's bond-like because it's almost guaranteed. It's almost guaranteed. Now, bonds aren't guaranteed, but they're, oh, you know, they're, they're much safer than stocks as far as volatility goes. So for the rich and the poor, the bulk of the money of earnings growth in your life typically comes between the ages of 25 and 35. So if you don't start saving and if you don't start pushing your career, like I said, you're like a hockey puck. You're not good. So during the next decade of your career, the, the raises start to get smaller and smaller. So you come out of college or you come out of high school, the most advancement, the, the, the furthest you're going to be able to stretch your legs is between 25 and 35 as far as income growth potential goes. After 45, those people in the bottom 90% of lifetime earners see their earnings decline as a group. In part because people often start cutting back their hours around that time, especially if they do manual labor for a living. Meanwhile, the one percenters only see relatively minor pay bumps after middle age. So it's you got to get this figured out, your income by 45, because after that, it's not going to happen. And really, you need to be doing it from age 25 to 35. So I want you to get to retirement 
And one of the things you have to do is take a certain portion of your income and save it in a nest egg, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a firefighter and or a coder. So I've got a friend who's 45 who just landed a job at Facebook. His timeline to succeed is starting to pass him. Even though he's a MIT graduate, even though he's got these like uh, accolades everywhere, a lot of his his life has been rolling the dice on. Okay, this company's going to work out. So I'm going to you know uh, cash in my 401k for this company. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And now he's basically in charge of kind of babysitting some other employees. He's the old guy of the engineering group. So his ability to be the rock star and go and impress the boss was oh, it's over at 25 to 35. Not totally true. Some old dogs do not learn new tricks. So, and a lot of times what I'm talking about now are the averages. So there are people out there who have late-age renaissances, for sure, and start earning like never before. There's, most of us are not like, and you know, I'm going to use Louis C.K. as the example, where he set up his career, he set up his career, he set up his career, but he really didn't start raking it in until his late 30s, early 40s. So by middle age, pretty much so, we are who we are. Um... The first 40 years of our life give us text. The next 30 supply the commentary. Uh, if there's one thing I can push on you very, very hardcore right now is and t- telling teachers this. You know, they're earning $44,000 out of college, if they're lucky. Uh, you need to save 15% of your salary. They laugh at you. But you do need to save 15% of your salary. 10%? A few, fewer laughs. 5%? Now we're talking. So anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Thanks for listening to the Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Everything has a consequence, right? That's the way I think. I don't think that there's right answers, especially in the world of economics. I just think there's compromises. Um... That's not always true. Don't tell a kid that has spelling tests that there's no right answers. There's just compromises. Because there are right answers in spelling tests. But I recently saw, and I read some, some social research, which, for what I try to do, I try to really dig in and get to know the issues a little. I want to be, I don't want to be smarter than you. I just want to outwork you. I want to know everything I can. But rising real estate prices sounds like a pretty great thing. 
you go, that sounds great. And then you have to quantify quickly and say, if you own real estate. Rising real estate prices sounds like a great thing if you own it, right? But how about the concept of how long can you own it? When does it start stripping away its positives? Uh, there, was, there was a study in basically Vancouver, which has made some home owners you know, very, very rich in the last few years. It's been a very hot and sexy market, but not for everyone, right? Increasing real estate prices are putting pressure on low-income families. So again, if you're a teacher, a firefighter, firefighters get paid relatively well. But if you're one of those people who, I don't want to say, like a teacher is an educated person, right? But some of the people who don't have the higher educations kind of really struggle. Uh, Vancouver's affordability issues have turned into a crisis. The city is finding itself with a massive backlog of families that need affordable housing. I don't even know how that works. I don't even know how that looks. Uh, I know, you know, good gosh, I knew a couple who had three kids total. And he worked at LinkedIn as one of the types of people that kind of helps you fix things. Help desk. And uh, he was making 80000 85000 pretty good money. But in the Bay Area, where they chose to live, that's poverty. And it's a funny thing to say out loud. Uh, so there's a crisis now that even a decent-paying job isn't enough for a family if they choose to have a stay-at-home mom and one, two, three kids kind of thing. So according to reports on Vancouver, you know, homeless people have increased by about 26% annually on a pretty consistent basis in the last seven years. So that's, you know, as the housing prices go up, more and more people are becoming homeless. So is it always a good thing that home prices go up? Again, yes, if you own said home. But we're quickly pricing people out, and I could be cute, and I could say, well, maybe that person should move to Oklahoma City, or maybe that person should move to Tulsa. Um, but a lot of people don't have that emergency kind of money to say, okay, I'm gonna, when I move, I'm going to get an apartment, and when I move, I'm going to take two to three months to find a job, and when I do that, uh, you can see how it all starts to tally up. But when you have a social housing wait list, you got to go to scratch your head and go, something's not working here. And... Uh, so start thinking about, you know, winning, winning. Uh, rising real estate prices in Vancouver make five people homeless every week. So I thought that was worthy of throwing out there just to start your process of thinking about what you want to achieve and what you don't want to achieve in your timeline from age 20 to 60 as far as accumulation of wealth. One of the areas that I like to go to to get advice is from people who are retired. So I'm looking for people who have quit their 9-to-5 job and basically help others with the way they live, with the way they think. And from talking to people who are retired or who have quit the workforce and can live off what they've saved, one of the things that I've learned is that you can't plan for everything. Um... I talked to, oh, good God, this breaks my heart. I talked to a teacher in her mid-30s 
who's got four kids. They got student loans to the tune of 130000 her and her husband. They ran up those student loans and lived off them instead of just having school pay for them. And now they're in their mid-30s, pushing 40, and they don't have anything saved. They still have these big student loans. So she didn't really plan for, and he didn't really plan for, paying back the loan. They didn't think, like, you know, this is real money. They were getting by. They were pay, you know, again, kids are expensive, and that's something you really have to start thinking about. And I don't know if that's planning or not planning. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of planning. Uh, but a lot of people don't realize uh, that you can't plan for everything. And f- for instance, she wants she's now planning to work till she dies, or she plans to work as long as she can. But what you might find is, and I've got two people in my indirect family, uh, th- they can't get jobs. So that's stressful. They're in their late 40s, and they're not hireable. They're not. No one wants them. Or at least where they're looking, no one wants them. So, a couple thoughts on this is you can't plan for everything. One of the best things you can do is set up an emergency fund. An emergency fund is somewhere between two and six months of cash, just in case. I see a lot of people in the jobs that I work at in radio and television who ultimately say, this area is too too expensive for me. Uh, I have a television producer who moved from here to Seattle. Now, that's not a huge cut, but it's enough of a cut. Housing's a little bit cheaper, and his job is transferable as a television producer. So it's a little less money, but it all adds up to that should be able to make ends meet because uh, he's got a young daughter who he's starting to say, hey, life starts at 40, or in his case, 45-ish. Uh, so he's putting it together. One of the things that even though you can't plan for everything, you can get your retirement house in order. How much do you think you're going to need is a good starting point? They say 60% of your income. I think that's crap. Depends on what you're going to do in retirement. But you can start with 60. At least, you know, you're in the ballpark. Um, and the first couple of years may be, actually be a lot more. So get your retirement house in order. You want to pay off, uh, you know, like remodeling that you've done on your home. You want to know that you will have a mortgage debt or not a mortgage debt in retirement. Uh, not having a mortgage allows you to withdraw less from your retirement accounts, which could be very, very important. Uh, are you going to relocate to eliminate that mortgage or not? So you got to feel plugged into a community when you retire. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, what am I doing today? Uh, and that's one of the reasons retirement communities are popular right now, and some people are buying in retirement communities. So they know that, hey, everyone in this 1,500 home units, that uh, I'll be able to go play Remy Cubes with them. Anyhow, and anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
So I'm blending two themes today. I'm blending the theme that technology is going to keep, continue to pe- put people out of work. All people, whether it's financial advisors, there's robo-advisors who in two years ago didn't exist, and now they've got over $6 billion in assets. Um, a lot of people trust a smartphone app more so than they trust a human being. And one of the areas that I think is going to get hit in the next five, ten years is real estate agents. And I think they're going to get hit hard uh, by technology because there's some kid at Stanford right now who's coming up with an app or coming up with an algorithm that, you know, basically says, OK, let's look at history. Do you remember? And I remember this. Do you remember um, going on vacations and travel agents? Do you remember travel agents? People used to, like, when they got out of high school and they didn't really want to go to college, but they kind of wanted to do something, they, they'd become realtors sometimes, and sometimes they'd become real estate agents. And real estate agents are all but dead because we have something called Google. And I can look for great trips to India, and I no longer have to trust someone on great trips to India. Now, I still know that there's some travel agents out there, but they are very, very few and far between. And I'm kind of guessing that's all mafia money at this point in time. The storefront. Yeah, um, yeah. It, I think it's going to be impossible for a. Thank you. Thank oh. you. I've got a property that you want. Might be interested in. The horse head in the bed. <laughs> no catches at all. <laughs> um, I think large brokers in the are, are going to make a mistake if they don't embrace some sort of d- d- online or. Digital, let's call it that. Digitalization. Uh, digitalization of listing and, and buying and selling properties um, in some way, uh, because that's the way that's the the next phase of of pretty much a lot of technologies and a lot of services. So you were just talking about how, um, you know, I didn't know this. I didn't know that the, about robo chats. I didn't know that they were robots uh, or chatbots. Uh, and I, I think that's just the, the next stage in which realtors need to embrace. Uh, we're, we're embracing it on our side. I still think that there's going to be a, a lot of personal hands-on work that you need to do for somebody because there's so many different varieties of uh, ways you can qualify so, for, for a loan. But you, you see how it, it's yeah, going to I'm, I'm specifically that. talking about realtors and not yeah. loans yet. But essentially efficient markets follow or are at the mercy of Darwinism, mm-hmm. the survival of the fittest. So, yes, I still think the 10% of agents who are great at what they do will, will thrive. Um, but discount brokers, F for sale by owners, broker referral networks, fee-for-service brokers are going to start making more and more headway. Um, in my industry, I could charge you 1% of your assets. Or there's people that will say, I'll do a, a financial plan for you for $3,000. Or there's people that say, I'll do a model portfolio for you for $500. So there's already a fragmentation going on that, it's the fee guys that are going to be the first ones to lose in my industry and not the percent of asset guys because uh, the fees you know, on computers are just non-existent. Mm-hmm. Once you have a, a program, it can be replicated pretty easy. So anyway, we're talking a little bit about that today. And uh, Well, I mean, imagine, imagine a, a brokerage, a real estate brokerage company that has you know, several listings and one pops up and there's and, – and you've – you as a buyer have put in your parameters of what you want to buy and where you want to buy it. That house pops up, and you've already done your research. It meets almost every single one of your parameters, and you click a button, and you are the first one to be able to put an offer on it. Um, and then, and maybe they do some sort of bidding war at that point with some other buyers. But 
that that may be the next thing that happens, Rob. I don't know if you can actually do that now with you know uh, with some of these realtors. I mean, you still have to pick up the phone, but I think that's going to be the way to go. Yeah. You know, get, send in your pre-approval in advance so that you can get, you know, maybe there's a, a qualifying step in order to be part of that list. I mean, One of my friends is a realtor, and the thing that she's got going for her is that she's a mom. So she knows other moms. But she just left her firm, which is a pretty popular firm in the Bay Area, um, Keller Williams. And she went with another firm that they just promised more technology. Mm-hmm. So the things that she used to have to do, the technology will now do for her. And I think that's a blessing and a curse because basically, you know, uh, the new firm is going to be more efficient, but it puts people out of jobs. Yeah. So. I mean, we just did a transaction where uh, the spouse was um, every single signature we got was digital or uh, auto signature, uh, in, in, except for the final notary signatures. So she made it all the way to documents and bought this house with almost zero um, ink. And I think that's the way that we're going, Rob. I'm with you. So Hampton prices are starting to get a little bit on the rocky side. Now, the Hamptons are obviously an escape from New York City. Um, but the high-end homes, the future of the Hamptons is uncertain as prices are starting to plummet. Luxury buyers are heading to different markets. Um, that's one of the areas that, I, in conversation of real estate, we always have to think about. Because one of the reasons people get timeshares, they'll go to the hot new place. A couple of years ago, it was Costa Rica. Then it was Panama. Then it was, um, gosh, I can't even think. Cabo or... Yeah, you get the yeah. idea. And they don't stay the hot, sexy places for long. Um, they kind of rotate around pretty quickly. So um, so the luxury markets of the Hamptons are starting to see big price drops. Miami seeing big price drops they've overdeveloped. Um, a lot of people get very, very comfortable that things are always going to stay the same. Um, I looked at my home in the last year, and I looked at expectations for the next year, and it was down about a percent in the last year, and the expectations are for it to be up less than 1% this year. So I feel that I'm done getting appreciation for the foreseeable future. I feel like it had a great run. It's going to take a breather. But also, like, you know, my home's like, let's say if I were to sell it for what the last home on the block went for, I'd get probably one five, one six. Do I really think it's going to double in my lifetime? Do I see houses going up to $3 million on my street? It's, it's a good question. Uh, there may be a wave of people who think exactly like you do and they say this the opportunities are over here in in our price range and well the opportunities as far as appreciation are over and where is that next hot spot could it be tahoe could it be um mammoth who who knows where it's going to be tahoe seems to be a pretty big topic right now a lot of people moving to like el dorado hills um so but that that is something that a lot of people are, are going to start thinking about is if we've peaked, we're going to look at some of those projections. You were just showing well, me a website that you pay thirty dollars; it gives you a full analysis on your property, including the forecasts. Some people might see this and say, "Our opportunities are done. This cash out now. This get the capital gains exemption." Well, let and, me just yeah, let me flesh yeah. this out a little bit more with you because you're going off topic. Um, my house worth one point five, one point six. If I were to sell it today, right? Sure. Um, and I say in the next ten, fifteen years, I don't see it going up to three million. Because I could also look at North Carolina, I could look at Denver, and I could still see I can buy three houses, four houses in those markets. And if my house goes up to $3 million, I could buy 10, 15, 20 houses in those markets. It starts to become ridiculous, and it gets to the point where if you don't have kids, you're like, hold on, I've already hit the jackpot. I can retire. Now, maybe I'm retiring in Raleigh or North Carolina or Denver. Um, your parents went to Reno. I wouldn't want to live in Reno, but I'm a real estate snob right now. 
But later in life, I, I'll probably lose some of those snobby qualities. So, and uh, there's, there's, I, just don't, I don't see the appreciation forever and ever in every right. market. Uh, there's a lot of second, what they call secondary markets around the United States. There's about 20 of them that are doing really, really well right now. A lot of people are doing exactly what you're saying, and they're they're cashing out. They're moving to these places. They're pocketing a bit, of, a little bit of money, and they're getting a they're getting a, I get a lower paying job. I get and four or five able, emails a week from people who are house rich in California, mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do. I'm like, you have to sell the house and move or put a renter in it and move. A lot of them could like literally rent their house and go buy a house in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will start doing that. So we still have an inflow of people here as well. Um, I'm a little, I'm not worried yet about the people who are coming here and, and trying to buy a house. We're working with a client right now who moved from Illinois, a small little town in Illinois, moved from a $60,000 job to a $153,000 job. And the home price is four times as much as what they were looking at back in Illinois. So, uh, and they're looking to strap out almost every single dollar they have um, just to get into this house. Uh, so, working in the reverse, yeah, I, I do see a lot of people thinking about either selling or at least cashing out on some of that money and starting to look maybe buy that retirement who, home and then moving into it. Do you know who Negan is? Yes. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I think is his, na- his real name. He just bought a home in Bethel, New York, which okay. is north of mm-hmm. the Hamptons. And he was asked about it, and he says, I don't want to live in the Hamptons. And you're like, did he just say that? And it's like, okay. And it's more rustic. He bought a candy store in Bethel um, because that's kind of the sign of being a luxury person now. So the Hamptons are now perceived as hoity-toity, and no one should want to live there. Um, so if you're looking for a husband or looking for a wife and you're going to the Hamptons, it's getting a little emptier now. So now you should be hanging out in more rustic parts that are uh, a little bit more bang for your buck. I find that interesting. Just the shifting of psychology. I don't know if I'd buy candy from him, though. He's a pretty mean guy. Um, he don't owns, ruin the show for me. I haven't watched about a season's worth, so. He owns a candy store with a guy who played um, Paul Rudd, Ant-Man, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So... And what happened was they got to that town, and they have, like, horses. And the guy who owns the candy store basically went bankrupt and died. And they're like, we could be local heroes. You know, for, you know, a small amount of money, we could have a candy store. And now people are ordering candy from the candy store because it's Negan's candy store. So, and that's all I got for you. So, anyhow and anyway. And he's married to a beautiful woman. From Dawson's, I think from Dawson's Creek or One Tree Hill. But anyway, I am so off topic. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. If you need a mortgage, find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. If you want to come to a future seminar, sign up. RobBlackShow.com. It's RobBlackShow.com. Always listen to the commercials on the station because I promote where I'm at. Take a break. Be right back. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. Planning for retirement can be complicated. There's lots to consider. But by narrowing your focus to a few key issues, you can maximize your retirement income and give yourself a much better chance of enjoying a comfortable retirement. I'm Rob Black, and on July 13th, I'll be in Burlingame for a special lunchtime event with CFP Chad Burton and attorney Michelle Lerman. We'll be discussing retirement income strategies and estate planning updates that you can use to get the most of your retirement nest egg. We'll cover passive versus active portfolio management, 
transitioning your portfolio from the accumulation phase to the income phase, which accounts to draw from first, measuring risk, estate planning tips for 2017, and more. That's Thursday, July 13th at the Doubletree in Burlingame. The event runs from 11 to 1 and includes lunch. And if you can stick around, we've also got a breakout bonus session where we'll give some retirement tips for the self-employed. Go to robblackshow.com for the details and to register. Cost is $25 and we'll waive that fee for KDOW listeners. Just use promo code RADIO25 when you register at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com, promo code RADIO25. Hope to see you there. Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um... Gosh, what do we talk about today, right? It's suddenly like when you're like, what do we have to talk about? Uh, where do we start? Amazon? I think that's probably a good place, as good a place as any to start, right? Um, Amazon buying Amazon, obviously, was a huge story last week. And I didn't give it a lot of attention because I kind of wanted to digest and make sure that I got the story right. And I feel comfortable that I did. Um, so Amazon is going to be buying Whole Foods and first things that you have to start thinking about is well that's not the worst thing that's you know interesting that a tech company is buying outside the world of tech so right there you're just like that's different and I think you have to acknowledge that then you're thinking about Amazon's going after Whole Foods and they're going for a $13.7 billion purchase. And one of the things that they said is that, you know, there's razor-thin profit margins in food, but Whole Foods doesn't have razor-thin profit margins. They charge a lot of money. They've been known as that whole paycheck concept. So Jeff Bezos over the weekend started talking about it, and he, he wants premium fresh food, but he wants to cut prices so that it doesn't have that feel. He wants to compete with Walmart on prices, but Whole Foods on quality. Interesting. <clears throat> he wants to eliminate cashiers with technology. Amazon is known for competitive prices. They're trying to attract more low- and middle-income shoppers with its grocery push. Um, Amazon Prime memberships are one of the way that they do it, and they've started doing discounted Amazon Prime memberships where people get government assistance. So they're willing to go after thinner margins. They want to use that 365 by Whole Foods concept to go after Walmart. Amazon Go is out there. <clears throat> so Amazon's considering extending the cost-cutting effort with new checkout technology that it's already started developing. So they've talked about cutting potential employees from Whole Foods. They want to do more of their own private labels. They want to get into the world of socks that are just socks and not Ralph Lauren socks. They want to get into the world that is shirts without being Ralph Lauren shirts. 
Amazon's got a big future. So Amazon has plenty of time to change their strategy here with this $13.7 billion deal, but it's going to have mass appeal, in my opinion. So the idea of walking into a store, grabbing a cart, bagging your groceries, and walking out all while putting on your Amazon credit card, which is gives you 5% discount, it's not too shabby. So we'll see if they're able to pull it off. That's going to be the big question, right? So after the Britain t- attacks this weekend, more terror attacks, Britain's talking more and more about policing the web. And... I gotta say, like, pros and cons, right? If a terrorist attack in my neighborhood could be stopped because someone was dumb enough to put a post on Facebook, Twitter, or uh, any other website, I'm all for it. We're kind of a funny nation. We want our planes to be safe. We want our streets to be safe. You know, it feels kind of nice in the middle of the night to take a look outside and see a police officer patrolling your neighborhood. But we have nothing like that when it comes to cybersecurity. Nothing. And both terrorists could attack your house and go after your credit cards and go after your, your, your money. We have like no official policing. It's kind of left up to the individual. Can you imagine if it was up, left up to the individual to give your own you know, security as you walk around town and go from bank to bank with hundreds of thousands of dollars and... All your money's like in your hands. It'd be the wild, wild west. So on one side right now, British policymakers and law enforcement officials want to crack down on the extremist messaging and communications that spread through the internet. On the other, privacy and freedom of speech groups. I find myself starting to open up to the idea of we should have some sort of way that our government can help monitor or that the, the tech companies are, are held more responsible and you're already seeing it in you know companies like YouTube, who are saying you know we're going to do everything we can to, to police things um, because they don't want the government doing it for them. And how much is the government really doing it already for us? I've got a family member who works in security for the government, and the amount of facial recognition that goes on, and not just facial recognition, but facial recognition tied towards databases of well-known activists and terrorists. Uh, and how much facial recognition goes on tied towards that person looks really angry and he's about to get on a plane. Um, there's a surprisingly large amount of that. Just to let you know, YouTube is accelerating its efforts to combat online extremism using a combination of expanded technological measures and human analysis. YouTube and Google, the video site's parent company, say they plan to do a better job of tackling violent extremist videos and content online. In March, Google and YouTube found themselves facing irate advertisers, with a lot of them pulling their business, as they found their ads were playing on sites that were promoting terrorism and extremism content. You want to start a jihad. You must get a bomb. Brought to you by Clorox. Like, what? What? Um, I think that's interesting of note. More interesting of note, uh, McDonald's. They ended their long-time partnerships with the Olympics. Um, Anheuser-Busch, Citigroup, Hilton, TD Ameritrade, AT&T have all pulled out of the Olympic Games in the last year. Um, industry experts speculate that some U.S. advertisers have left because of the dramatic time change for the next games that are going to be held in Tokyo 
in uh, Pyongyang, Pyongyang in 2018, Tokyo in 2020, and Beijing in 2022. Interesting to note. You can find me online at Rob Black's show. i got a seminar coming up. Use the code RADIO25 to sign up for it. It's RADIO25 to get in for free. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.